today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 1.27, Romans 12.1-5, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and Ephesians 2.14-22. In Genesis, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Romans, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation can come. The old has gone, and the new is here. In Ephesians, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And just again, today's message will refer to adult themes of sexuality, nothing racy, just real. So if you're concerned about your children hearing this, uh, just feel free to push pause and come back to us at a later time. Uh, if someone asks you to describe your identity to them, how would you answer? What would you lead with? What makes you, you? I think some of us might lead with our profession or maybe our skin color and ethnicity or nationality. Maybe it's the language that we speak or perhaps it's our religion and the cultural traditions that our families practice. Or maybe we might say it's our personality, our disposition. But what would you lead with? For many of us listening today, we probably would say our Christian faith is an important part of our identity. But even then, what is a Christian identity? Is it a specific faith conviction or a particular theological outlook? Or is it a certain Christian values and practices that you do? Or maybe it's the denomination that you grew up in or now practice. Or maybe it's simply wearing a cross around your neck and having a picture of Jesus in your house. That's what makes you Christian. 
As you can see, our sense of identity is very complex, and how we disclose who we are to others depends on the context that we are in. For example, though many of us might identify with being Christians as an important part of our identity, I don't think we often walk around the grocery store or greeting people at a school parents' meeting saying something like this, Hi, I'm Andrew, and I'm a Christian. Unless, of course, I want to get kicked out and film it and cast it, post it on social media and claim religious persecution, right? But our identity is important, but it's also not that important all the time. Today, we want to explore what Scripture says about our identity and what we see our sense of, of ourselves. And I will propose that the Christian faith provides a much more holistic approach to understanding who we are by integrating these parts of our identity in light of Christ, rather than emphasizing the discovery of our identity on our own. Knowing who we are is more about a process of integration rather than a process of discovery. Integration versus discovery. So, we're going to do this in three parts as usual. Identity discovery, identity distinction, and identity as communal formation. Discovery, distinction, and communal formation. So, when it comes to identity, let me begin with this question. What aspect of identity did God create, and what aspect did human society create? And how do we know the difference, and does it really matter? You know, uh, Marjorie read for us in Genesis 1, verse 27. Let me reread it for you here again. Saying, so God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Christian scriptures begin with a significant assertion about human identity in the cre cre creation story. Historically and biologically, human identity has been integrated in some sense with our bodies being male and female. We aren't just disembodied spirits and psyches to discover. How we entered the world in our bodies is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And as God's image bearers, humans are unique in their uh, capacity to reflect God's character amongst all of creation. But even more than reflecting God's character, we are also called to reflect God's activity in the world. We are called to be co-creators with God, participating in God's mission to fill the earth with God's goodness. This image-bearing intention and capacity of humanity is meant to be part of this core identity as followers of Christ. And we build upon and integrate all the other aspects of our identity on this foundation, much like Jesse reminded us with the Jenga blocks. But with the reality of the fall, where sin entered the world, our ability to bear God's image is marred. It's imperfect. Being disconnected from God means we are disconnected from this core identity. And there are parts of our human experience that are disordered and incomplete. Being broken image bearers means humans participate in both good, God-motivated activities, but also broken, self-motivated activities. So not all of our human activity bears God's image perfectly. And we are tempted to embrace other sources of identity as scripture tells us so well in the story of the people of Israel. We look to what will give us a sense of power. We look to what will give us a sense of belonging. We look to what will give us a sense of being loved. And that's perfectly natural. We spend a lifetime in this process of discovering who we are. But discovery is not the truth maker. God is. 
And so we start with this idea that we are indeed made in the image of God, but we live in a fallen world that distorts our sense of self. So we spend this lifetime discovering these parts that make up who we think we are and attempt to integrate all these parts under the lens of being made in God's image. You know, this gives us hope. The Christian faith starts with the belief that God creates our identity. Self-discovery to determine the truth about our identity will never be fulfilling on its own. We can do endless personality tests and see... um, and see a therapist for the rest of our lives. But with the foundation that we are made in God's image to be in a reconciled relationship with the living God in Christ, our journey of knowing who we are will never be satisfying apart from God. As Christ followers, we are to view our fundamental identity first as image bearers of God. The Holy Spirit works and illuminates and spotlights parts of our lives And and then we begin this process of sifting out how to bear God's image faithfully by understanding God's character revealed in Scripture first. And in doing so, we are able to recognize the parts that are intended by God in our lives and the parts that are marred by sin and brokenness and those parts that are simply products of human activity that promise belonging and affirmation but pale in comparison to being known by God. You know, and Paul wrote to this uh, Corinthian church saying, for you are a new creation in Christ. It, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is a new cre- in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Ultimately, God's character is most revealed in the character and the work of Jesus Christ. When we respond to the initiative of God in, in Christ, we discover we receive a new identity that informs all other sources of identity in our lives. God's saving work is not merely about going to heaven after you die, but it's about living in, 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 in a new you in light of God's coming kingdom. Living in light, living in the present in light of the future. That's what the Apostle Paul has pointed to in this passage. In light of our salvation, we have this new trajectory of life, a new mission of reconciling all people to God. That's what we are called to. (laughs) This new identity that we build upon in our lives. So let's break down this identity, uh, idea of identity further as it relates to human sexuality. You know, as we're in the middle at at WCF of discerning our relationship with the LGBTQ community, distinguishing what we are talking about when we talk about issues of sexuality is helpful. Let, let Let me say this clearly first. Experiencing same-sex attraction, as I've come to in, in the numerous conversations I've had with LGBTQ people, is not a choice. The point of today's sermon is that our attractions and, uh, and our other sources of identity are not meant to be the defining part of our being. And in fact, sources of identity apart from God will never sufficiently satisfy our self, sense of self and sense of belonging. And these are two questions that we will all long to answer in our lives. Who am I really? And where do I belong? Who do I find belonging with? These are two fundamental core longings of humanity. Mark Yarhouse is a clinical psychologist who's done extensive work on sexual identity. And his work is insightful here, especially for those who find conversations about LGBTQ challenging. When it comes to understanding same-sex sexuality, 
he outlines how there are three manifestations of our sexuality, three manifestations. There are attractions, then there are orientations, and then there are identities. Attractions speak of an interest or of a liking towards those of the same sex. They are feelings that a person cannot necessarily control. They are simply a descriptive category. This is a simply a descriptive category of what's happening. These attractions happen for an individual. And then there's this level of orientation, where there is a persistent and a durable and strong enough attraction to say that a person is oriented toward the same sex. But both of these first two manifestations are not really a choice for many people. This is something that they experience. And then the third category is the level of identity. This is the most prescriptive of the categories, indicating that same-sex attractions experienced are fundamental to his or her sense of self. It is, and it defines who they are. And as we've been learning over the past few weeks, it's the last of these categories that is a fairly recent uh, phenomenon, Des despite same-sex activity being evidenced throughout history. Understanding these levels of identification with respect to same-sex sexuality informs who we are and, uh, and how, what we are responding to when we and what, we, what God is calling us to. When we refer to LGBTQ, is it attraction? Is it orientation? Or is it the identity? Cultural anthropologist and someone who attended WCF when she was a, an American Studies program student uh, named Janelle Williams, Paris. Janelle Williams, Paris. You know, she further expands this at the end of her, uh, in, the, in the book, in her book, The End of Sexuality saying this, sexual identity is a Western 19th century formulation of what it means to be human. It's grounded in a belief that the direction of one's sexual desire is identity constituting, earning a label, whether it's gay, label, lesbian, straight, etc., and also a social role. It's perceived as innate and as stemming from inner desire. Sexual identity has to be searched out, found, named, and expressed in order for each person to be fully functional and happy adult. You know, by studying cultures around the world, Janelle observes that all of all humans who have ever lived, very few have had sexual identities derived from a person's desire. And for the majority of the population who experiences heterosexual attractions, these attractions never, have never been a defining part of identity or of a sense of happiness. Social identities related to biology, like being a male or female, or gender, being a boy or a girl, are common across cultures around the world. But identity categories based in sexuality, such as heterosexual or homosexual, are much less common. Most cultures that have ever been present on earth, including biblical ones, didn't have heterosexuals as an identity category. So why do we make heterosexuality or homosexuality such an essential part of what it means to be human? The point in this discussion is, is that Williams is making is not that the newness of this identity category is suspect, but that for desire to be the basis of an identity category is unhelpful in treating one another as persons made in the image of God. For example, if you were to ask me right now, Andrew, do you identify as straight or gay? I would say neither. 
because of those, the way those identity cables, uh, labels have been politicized and don't do justice to being fellow image bearers of God. They are helpful in, to describe the general attractions that we might experience, but they are not helpful as identity markers to determine what side of the fence you think I'm on. And before you question, oh, so you mean you're uh, non-binary or bisexual? I wouldn't say that either. I would say the same thing. These are socially constructed labels of identity that are being imposed and prevent me from being known and from me knowing you as fully as possible. Sexual identity as heterosexuality or as homosexuality is a social construct. And particularly, it's a social construct that has become a faulty pattern for understanding what it means to be human by linking our identity with our sense of desire. And that overshadows the biblical theme of being God's image bearers. Now, in some ways, it's become a blunt force tool, like us using a sledgehammer to do brain surgery. Sexuality is far too complex for us to use um, as a basis for not only our identity, but perhaps also for immorality. If we are really honest with ourselves, I think we'd have to say that all people, whether you're every single person, single or married, straight or gay, uh, Christian or not, we're all trying to sort out who we are being attracted to and what we're to do with those attractions and what is natural or normal or disordered or proper. But these identity categories have been used to say who's in and who's out. And whether you're straight or gay, we are all looking to be seen and to be valued and to be loved. These sexual identity categories can be unhelpful because they come, have come to be associated with exclusion. But if we begin with the fact that we are loved by God, we understand that we are already valued and not because we are one type of identity. And because of the baggage of being straight or gay, uh, a more fundamental starting point for our identity is this. Are we bearing God's image more faithfully in our lives, or are we not? And if we're not, how do we bear God's image more faithfully? Isn't that a much more hopeful question of who we are and who we can become? When Paul writes to the Ephesians church, uh, Ephesian church, he is addressing the issue of identity distinction. He's speaking to the uncircumcised and the circumcised. He's speaking to the Jew and the foreigner and those uh, who follow Jewish law and those who don't. These are all human categories speaking to what people did with their genitals, what they understood of their ethnic identity, and their religion. Yet, Paul reminds them that God's work of redemption is to tear down those boundaries and to create one new humanity out of two groups that humans created to say who is in and who is out. Now, this idea shows up again in Matthew chapter 16. It's coming up on the screen here when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? Who do you think, who do people say that I am? And then Peter answers them, says, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Jeremiah, and others say Elijah, or one of the other prophets. People think of Jesus according to their categories of some leadership category that has been enshrined in the collective memory of the people of Israel. 
maybe Jesus is a radical or he's an amazing teacher or he's a miracle worker or maybe he's a countercultural prophet. People are imposing their categories on Jesus. You see, even heroes are social constructs. But Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And what does Peter answer? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, by humans, by human activity, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, and then he continues on, it is revealed. Jesus affirms how identity is revealed not by human institutions or social constructs, but nor by discovery, but by revelation from our Father in heaven. All this to say, God created sexuality. God created humans, male and female. And people, though, created sexual identity. People created categories of identity based on our attractions. But from Scripture, we are reminded that identity comes primarily from God. It is revealed to us. In the Christian church, as the body of Christ, we are inclined to want distinctions. Are you an affirming church or a traditional church? Are you a Republican or Democrat? Are you progressive or conservative? Are you anti-racist or not? And as we prepare to gather next week, some of us might be thinking in these categories. Are you vaccinated or not? Are you going to wear a mask or not? Now we can have those conversations. But often, those distinctions have become blunt force tools for the fine surgical work of what it means to be humans living in community with fellow image bearers of God. They have become politicized to categorize and to form identities and to determine hierarchy in a social context. They have been used to determine who is being more faithful to God or who is a better human being. But the most important identity distinction of God's family is, are you on your way towards Jesus or are you on your way away from Jesus? Are you centering Jesus to become a more faithful image bearer of God or not? And to answer that question, we each need the help of the family of God. This leads us to our final point, identity as communal formation. I heard a quote this week from former Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. And he once said this, saying, figuring out, which, where is it? Figuring out what it means, oh no, for, for the simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig. But for sim the simplicity on the other side of complexity, for that, I would give you anything I have. Simplicity on this side of complexity, I wouldn't give you a fig. But simplicity on the other side of complexity, I would give you everything I have. You know, figuring out what it means to be human is already a task in itself. And figuring out what it means to be humans, living in a diverse community with one another, is a whole other complicated task. You see, we want simple answers for all of our questions. We want to know if we'll be accepted before we invest in a relationship. We want the simplicity of saying, this is who I am, this is what I believe, take it or leave it. But relationships are complex. Being human is complex. Being a community of diverse followers of Christ is complex. And we hardly arrive at knowing who we think we are before we're confronted with something that challenges that sense of self. And thankfully, there is simplicity 
on the other side of complexity. It's in the found in the person and work of Christ. In Jesus, we have someone who has already given us everything he has. He gives us himself. The story of scripture tells us that figuring out what it means to be human, figuring out who we are, is always a step of faith. Because there are always uncomfortable parts that we discover about ourselves. Things don't seem to fit with what we know. Stepping into a relationship with the living God, too, is intimidating. It doesn't quite fit naturally. After all, you're coming before the creator of the universe who knows all and sees all. And there's absolutely nothing equal about a human relationship with the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe. See, on one side of the universe relationship is us as humans with incredible gifts, strengths, and abilities. But we also come with incredible imperfection, trauma, brokenness, and shame. We come, with some, we come before God with something called sin. And on the other side of this human-divine relationship is a holy, righteous, perfect, and powerful God. This relationship should not be possible because of our sin. Yet we also know that God will not really be God if he's also not a God of love. In God's love, God makes this relationship possible through his son, Jesus. And once we begin this relationship by trusting in Christ, we begin this lifelong process of sorting out who we are and what we do with our bodies and what we do with our desires and what we do with all of our values and priorities and our relationships in light of Jesus. We sort out whether these come from God or whether they come from an environment or from an experience that we are re reacting to. And we begin to integrate them all in light of this new relationship with the living God, all in light of being new creations in Christ. But the hope is that we don't do that alone. Our discovery, our integration is not a solo project, and we cannot do it alone. And when the Apostle Paul, formerly known as the Apostle, named Saul, encountered Jesus, his categories of identity were all upturned. What do you mean that these worshipers of Jesus are faithful Jews? What do you mean, God, that I'm persecuting you? I've got the best theology from the best Pharisee. I interned with the best teacher. Look at my credentials. But after this encounter with Jesus in Acts 9, we're told that he has he goes and spends several days with disciples in Damascus. He was discovering this new identity in light of encountering Jesus under the guidance of fellow disciples who didn't quite see things the way that he did see them. And I'm sure there were many questions asked about scriptures and sifted through in their days together. As much as Paul knew about scripture, he needed to reframe that knowledge in light of, uh, of a resurrected Jesus who turned out to be, the Messiah, to be the Messiah not only for the Jews but also for all of humanity. He had to reintegrate what he once knew and what he, with what he knew now. And after time with other Jesus followers, we find that he continues to do what he was doing. He goes from city to city, synagogue to synagogue. But instead of going to arrest and kill Christians, He's preaching about this resurrected Jesus as a savior, not only for the Jews, but for 
all the Gentiles. He's centering Jesus because of his encounter with Jesus and because of uh, what he's come to know in interacting with the family of God. Paul goes on from Damascus and on to Jerusalem. And there he finds he is not welcome because the disciples are afraid of him. They see Paul as a threat, not only to their church, but also to their personal safety because of the identity that preceded Paul. But a friend named Barnabas advocates for Paul. And again, we find that Paul stayed with the disciples there. He's reframing what he knew of God and of himself in light of Jesus, together with the family of God. Now, this work takes a community that is willing to have difficult conversations with one another, to interpret scriptures together, to discern what are disputable matters or not together, and to share a common language of what we understand about marriage and identity together. That's really why we've been walking through this Third Way series together over these past few weeks. And our goal is not necessarily agreement in all matters, but agreement in what really matters. Our goal is not necessarily agreement in all matters, but agreement in what matters. And what matters is that we are all made in the image of God and that we are all called to center Jesus in our identity, in our faith, in our community, and in our world. We don't discover who we really are. Our discoveries about ourselves don't define who we are. God reveals to us who God is in Christ. And we discover who we are in relation to God. And based on this fixed objective truth of God's revealed personhood, we can then begin to understand our own personhood. We begin to integrate our human experience and what we discover about ourselves along the way. The parts that have formed our identity thus far become integrated into this truth of being God's image bearers in the world, centering Jesus in our lives, building upon Jesus as a cornerstone that is our lives together. Our identity is truly in God and in Christ, not in us. And so that gives us great hope. My sense of self doesn't depend on me and on my ability to sort out who I am. My sense of belonging doesn't depend on what group I identify with. Who I am and who I belong to is completely and absolutely a gift of God's grace to me. They are two sides of the same coin. And we get the whole coin when we respond to Jesus. On one side is identity, on the other side is belonging. And we are invited to spend the rest of our lives marveling at this treasure that we have received out of God's grace. And I'm reminded of who I am and who I belong to through the gift of belonging to this family of God. This is what gives me great hope and assurance. This is the great foundation for identity built on Christ as a cornerstone. Ultimately, what gives us assurance practically is that God welcomes us no matter what we come, no matter what we identify as. And as a church, we aspire to be a church for all peoples. This means that whether you identify with, uh, whatever you identify with as you walk through these doors, whether you're progressive or conservative, traditional or affirming, black, white, Asian, Latino, Arab, straight, gay, transgender, 
You are welcome and you are valued. We benefit from your presence and your participation because your particular stories widen our understanding of who God is and how he works in our lives. We help one another bear God's image more faithfully together. We find belonging and we discover together who we truly are in Christ. And we begin to integrate all these parts of, that we understand ourselves to be. You know, next week, we will explore one last message on this history of development of uh, sexual identity before we conclude this series on how we can really love each other well. Now, sisters and brothers, will you join me on this journey with Jesus together? Because I need you to show me who God is. And I need, uh, and, uh, and I need you to show me who I am. I open up my life to you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the messy, so we can marvel together at God's gracious work amongst us together. May, we, may it be so, to the glory of God. Amen.